Welcome back to Energetically You, where we talk all things optimal wellness, abundant mindset, and wellpreneurship. I'm your host, Megan Swan, a wellness mindset and integrated wellness business coach and the founder of the Sustainable Integrated Wellness Approach. I work with high-performance women, helping them thread more wellness into their lifestyle so that it becomes a way of life and not a check mark on their to-do list. I love designing custom approachable wellness lifestyles and strategies because let's face it, there is no one size fits all wellness. Today, I'm excited to interview Crystal Rainbow Borelli. How cool is that name? She is a third generation yogi. She lives and teaches from a real and raw place while upholding the traditions of yoga practices. She is an international retreat holder and teacher trainer. Crystal returns to India every year to continue her studies and immerse herself in living the teachings of yoga. Her home is based in Squamish, British Columbia. Let's dive in. Welcome, Crystal. I'm so excited for this conversation today. I really respect all the work that you do. I can't wait to hear all about your book and all the things. But let's start with how are you and where are you? Hi, good morning. And thank you. (laughs) I am doing very well. I'm currently in Whistler, BC. My husband has a hockey tournament. He's a coach. So we're up here uh, doing that whole gig. So I'm working from the hotel room today. (laughs) Amazing. So let's start with Give us sort of a glimpse into your your childhood and like how far back your knowledge and love of the world of yoga goes. Yes, 100%. So I am, I grew up on a small little island um, off grid called Laskiti Island. And I uh, am a third generation yogi. So I have, um, you know, my great aunt was a, a follower of Yogananda and built an ashram or a fellowship center in Hollywood. And um, my mom and father are both practitioners of Yogi Bhajan. And so that lifestyle of the yogi kind of led into where I was raised, which was this beautiful um, piece of property, you know, with frog, frog ponds and um, eating out of the, the garden and all the bits. And that was kind of my introduction to how to view the world was um, very respect for the land, live off the land. And I took that with me out into the world when I, you know, when I was ready. And um, I remember doing uh, yoga with my mom and chanting in the sauna with my dad and, you know, all the bits from a young age. Uh, and that was the foundation but uh, I, I didn't think that that's what I would do in my life. You know, you, you kind of, I didn't want to do what my parents did. It didn't really make sense. They were both um, teachers in different modalities. They were you know, Jin Chin Do practitioners and um, acupuncturists. And, you know, there's yin yang charts on the wall and chakra charts on the wall and, and things like that. Um, so I went off and went into snowboarding. I, I, my dad was an Olympic skier for the U S and that really like took me, um, I went that direction for a while and which what brought me to Whistler originally. Um, yeah, I did that for, um, snowboarding for quite a while, like, you know, early teens into my twenties. Um, but I ended up getting a really bad, 
um, fall, which was seven brain um, like concussions, <laughs> seven concussions. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm laughing. I, I think maybe because it's uncomfortable. Um <laughs> uh, because I was semi-professional, I did lots of the big air and slope style and I charged, you know, like I was in a fury charging. Um, but that, you know, has um, repercussions. And so the brain injury, um, a blood clot and a brain damage actually changed my direction in my life um, and brought me into my path of, of pursuing being the teacher. Hmm. All right. Well, I want to dive into the injury and, and that experience, but first, did you see uh, any common threads between snowboarding and yoga and, and, you know, like all sort of like you were building on uh, philosophy or skills or for you, it was like, no, I'm completely going to go do something that is not what my parents are doing. Yeah. So I, not really in the moment. I think, you know, in the moment I was really good at, this is where yoga kind of ties in. I could see the, the course, the snowboard course, the big air, it's a bunch of jumps and things. Um, I could see the course and I would envision myself doing the jumps. And, and so I was kind of, I guess I was in a, it's a little bit of a meditation because I was looking at this and being like, okay, that's what I need to do there. And I would envision myself landing. I would envision myself on the podium with the, you know, the metal and all the things. And so that was really the only uh, part that I feel was connected back to yoga. Um, I mean, I learned at a young age that you could ask the universe for anything and the universe will provide. Sometimes it's not what you expect it to be, <laughs> but you can, <laughs> you're not supposed to deny it. You have to accept, you know, and, and be very clear on what you're asking for. That's a big other message there. But uh, so I would envision the course and, and be calm through it. And I think um, it was very ego driven that part of my life. I was, you know, I was definitely driven by the ego, that part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So continuing with your philosophy of you be careful of how and what you ask for. Mm-hmm. Are you at this point, how many years ago was this injury? First of all, this was, uh, I think I was 23 years old and I'm going to be 43 this in, in like a month or so. So it was 20 years ago. Okay. So you've had lots of time to process and, and oh, yeah. integrate and you know, now you look back and besides that, it sort of gifted you your, your, your re redirection back into the yoga world. Did you see that you like sort of asked the universe for that injury or that accident or how do you? Uh, no, I, I think that that was a divine intervention. There's been a couple of divine interventions <laughs> when I look back, um, to get me into the course and the path that I'm at. And, uh, that was, that was a shedding. I mean, it was during my, um, Saturn returns. So it was, or sorry, it wasn't during my Saturn returns. That was something else. Sorry. Um, but it was the beginning of figuring out what I needed to do in this world. And I can see, I can see why it happened. Um, and because the ego was so strong in that moment, you know, professionally when you're well, semi-pro, I I know people like you were a professional. I'm like, I was, but I feel like I was uh, back then, because there wasn't very many girls snowboarders, you know, like I can't, you know, anyways. Uh, <laughs> so I think, you were like at, at a serious level that most people are not. I mean, yes, definitely. Yeah. I was at a higher level of comp- competing, definitely um, the nationals and, you know, where I was and things, but um, 
it's, I can see how it has led me to this space, but it was a long transition time, but by age 24 to, I think it was like, until I was 30, you know, there was like a shadow period where I was having a really hard time figuring out what I was supposed to be in this world. And it, at one point it felt like my spirit was being ripped into, like, I felt like I was living um, a life where it wasn't what I was meant to be, which is really hard on the spirit when, you know, it's, it's, I'm very spirit driven, uh, to the life that I'm supposed to be. So it was this like funny little dance. And then it wasn't until, you know, really claiming, um, my power and and what I was meant to do here that it, uh, it shifted, which is thank God. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) Ah, all right. So let's, let's go to India. How old were you the first time you went to India? Hmm. So that's a good question. How old was I? I think I was 30 when I went to India. So a little bit later on, you know, I, yeah, I was around 30. Um, it was in 2011. So I'm sorry, I'm not very good at math. When you ask me a question, I've got a really bad concept of time. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So it was, I know it was in 2011. So, so the pandemic wasn't that bad for you. <laughs> no. Oh yeah, no. I was like, that was two years. What? I had no idea. <laughs> um, so yeah, I had, you know, my first training was with um, Julia McCabe. She's a beautiful and very strong, beautiful powerful teacher. She taught me to really claim my fire. And uh, that was in Nicaragua. But I knew that I wanted to train in India. I was like, I want to go to the roots. I want to like be legit, really. Like I want to really dive into these teachings and the tradition. And I feel like it was lacking a bit in the West, like where I was um, practicing and, you know, it was the spirituality was lacking. And very, well, very watered down and and the traditions, I was like, I want to know more. And I want, I'm like, I want to learn in India. So I seeked out my teacher there, Swami Vishvaktu. He he owns the Akanda uh, Yoga, the World Conscious Yoga family. And he's up in Rishikesh there. So I ventured off and um, yeah, went and lived there for a a couple months or month and a half or something like that in um, up north in Rishikesh. And just fell in love with it. And that began the journey of going every year, sometimes twice a year um, to study with him. And then also to bring groups of people there for them to experience, you know, the magic you're living the practice there. You're living yoga. There's temples and spirituality everywhere. There's um, yeah. Like everything in India up North anyways, in Rishikesh is, you know, the, the morning, the, the wind comes through the Himalayan mountains and it's said to be the breath of Shiva to cleanse out the, the town before the day begins, you know, every morning at like 7.30. And the area is called Tapavan, which is the forest of the yogis. And, and so it's very, uh, it's like, it's like you're stepping into the story there. It's really mm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love that description. So sort of higher bird's eye view like what else has India taught you maybe not so directly in terms of my teacher what has he taught me no the country of being the experience of it because you've been yeah many many times no yes very many times I what I love about India is that it's um it's organized chaos so (laughs) within the within the wild 
there's so many people, there's cows crossing their road and like full on crazy traffic. And there, you know, there's monkeys stealing things and there's construction happening. And what I, I love that there's still an organized divine movement and stillness within all of that. And I'm like, it's wild that yoga came from this place that is, you know, do you want to quiet the mind? Well, you have, you know, it's not like you're in a little room that's pristinely quiet. It's like, no, no, there's real life happening. And, and how can you find that sense of stillness or peace within yourself and that calm state while you're in the storm? Yeah, it's it's wild. (laughs) It's so true. I've only been once, but for me, what really stuck out to me was, you know, the the uh, vibrance of color and incredible aromas, but almost simultaneously mixed with chaos and garbage and, and like it all just being at, at the same time. Yeah. And, and the experience and, of if, if it being, yeah. Yeah. Incense and shit at the same time. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> This wow, is yeah. <laughs> the sense. It's very sense overloaded, and it's not for everybody. And then, and you know what? And yoga <laughs> might not be for everybody too. I always say it's like it takes a unique person to really, um, and a seeker, I guess, like a, like a deep seeker. Like it's not any. I wouldn't take anyone to India. Like there's people like I want to come, and I'm like, I don't know if that's a good idea. <laughs> I think maybe you should wait, just maybe just wait a little bit. (laughs) Of course, everyone's welcome, but yeah. And, and beautiful about that too, is that you have to really let go there. Like we are, so we grip where we are here in the West. Like we're, it has to be this way. Things are on time and it it just, it's very like rigid, I would say. And Mm -hmm. there, uh, I really appreciate the just go with the flow or a pedigraha, like just let it go, you know? And, um, it is what it is. Like, don't, why do we have to be so controlling around it the way it has to be And there? It's really got to surrender. It's a lot of surrendering. Yeah. I had a, my teacher, um, I really wanted to learn the harmonium and he was offering, my teacher had a, a musician come and teach us and he was there to be on Tuesdays at like four o'clock. And I'm like, great. I'm so excited to learn the harmonium. Which you know, I did that little like box thing that yeah that they, it has okay, a bellow and, and the, yeah so it's really good for chanting and so I, mm-hmm. I lead a lot of those I learned but not from that moment <laughs> so he was like okay my teacher's coming at four and you'll be downstairs in the hall and I was like okay great so I got there early of course and I waited about you know forty five minutes and the teacher didn't show up so I go to my teacher Vishva and I said he's not he didn't come like is he coming and he's like oh no maybe next week Hariom. And I was like, hurry home. Like, I want to, <laughs> I want to learn. So I arrive next week and I'm early. And again, the teacher doesn't show up. And I go to Vishva. I'm like, he didn't show up again. He's like, oh, hurry home. Maybe, maybe next week. I'm like, oh, so I go again. And this, so this happened a couple of times. And finally uh, he was like, oh, maybe next week. I'm like, Vishva, I'm not here next week. I'm leaving. Like, <laughs> I'm like, hurry home. And he's like, oh, it's just not meant to be. And I was like, oh, that's okay. You know, and, and he was just like, Hariyom is just kind of like, let it go. I mean, there's more to it. It's a Shiva prayer. Um, it means to let go of the darkness or the shadow of the ignorance to be, to step into the divine and the, and to be liberated. And uh, I was like, okay, so just not meant to be that trip, you know? Yeah. I, I have a more visceral experience living here in Mexico with very similar, you know, 
the concept of time and and when you start to embody it, it's completely different. And you realize that it is very constrictive Our you know, let's just keep it Canadian um, passion about structure and schedule (laughs) and all the things. Um, Whereas here in Mexico, you know, someone would never like cut off a conversation with somebody to make sure that they made it to a doctor's appointment on time, right? Like that would just be really rude and unthoughtful. (laughs) You can see both sides, right? Like you can see both sides and, and, uh, but yeah. So let's, let's go to, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the, the injury, because I mean, I don't think a lot of people, it's not common to have a brain injury. Mm. So what did that experience like on a physical level, teach you about your body? Um, To trust, I would think with the main thing to really trust um, what you're feeling and that those feelings are valid and to fight for that to be heard. Um, I, I think back then brain injury wasn't really taken as seriously. And, and I had three neurologists tell me that I was fine, that I had post concussive syndrome. And they're like, it's like what hockey players get, you're fine. And it was two years of migraines and, um, not being able to complete a sentence. I'd stutter, I'd lose my words. Uh, I, I'd feel like I closed my eyes. I feel like I was falling or spinning and, I, I mean, I didn't work for a good month or maybe even over a month and the doctors, um, weren't listening to me. And, and I was like, no, something is wrong. Like I, like, this is not normal. This is, there's something more going on here. And they did take me to, um, to get a a scan in Vancouver and the neurologist, um, honestly, he just looked at my chest the whole time. He did a test. He did one arm out test. And I I said, I feel like I'm falling to the left. I'm falling. And he's like, he's like, Oh, I think you're fine. And I was so relieved that this is the first doctor I saw. I was so relieved that this professional, you know, in this way was telling me that I was okay. But I was also a little bit pissed off because I was like, why are you looking at my breast the entire time? Uh, but I, I took that and like, okay, maybe I am okay, but I wasn't. And I could still feel that. So the trusting, um, and then eventually when I demanded, um, uh, another scan, um, with a doctor, he, I started crying cause I was so frustrated. He's like, you have post-concussive syndrome. And I'm like, I don't, there's something going on. And he said, maybe you should see someone about depression. And I mm-hmm. lost, oh my God, I lost my I lost my marbles. (laughs) I swore and I was yelling and I was crying and I was like, how dare you? I demand one. He's like, well, it's not going to prove anything. You're totally fine. And, but if you need this to, to move forward, you know, it's been two years now, if you need this to move forward, then, you know, it'll take three months to get in. And I'm like, then get me in, you know? So when we did do the scan, he, they said, uh, they showed me, they said, the, the woman that did it, she's was horrified. She's like, I'm so sorry. Uh, she's like, you do have brain damage. Um, there's a dried up blood clot. Here is the bruising in your brain. And she's like, you're really lucky to be alive. Yeah. Hmm. So with that, um, I was angry that no one listened, I think was the main one. And that to keep fighting for what you know inside. Um, I mean, I was lucky that it, it didn't erupt and I, I'm here. But it, I mean, the recovery has been very long. I think that um, I still lose my train of thought. And But the brain's amazing, right? Like we get back, you know, we, I'm sure it's 
you know, it's healed and I'm still here doing my thing. (laughs) So, yeah. So just to be clear, all that happened within the Canadian system, it sounds like. Yeah. The way you tell it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the good and the bad of quote unquote universal healthcare is, you know, they're always looking to minimize (laughs) Mm -hmm. versus the good and bad of something like the American system where they're like happy to run tests because they're charging you. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've actually growing, I mean, I moved to Whistler when I was 18 years old and I was here for 20, 20 years. And I, I've, I was always really surprised at the the doctors here. There's been so many misdiagnoses of being like, Oh, you have a sprained ankle. And then next thing, you know, my friend's getting surgery on his ankle because the ankle's broken and he needs, he needs bolts and things like that. Like, so that's, I mean, that's one of so many stories. And I've always been surprised, like for a world-class ski resort, I've actually been really surprised that the medical system was not as probably fine-tuned as it should be. And I know a lot of doctors here that are awesome. I mean, they're great, right? But there's Mm -hmm. a lot of situations that have been diagnosed, misdiagnosed, and unfortunately have cost people a lot more injury or long-term discomfort than necessary. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's a big thing that you know, I talk a lot with my clients about it and I love how you, you opened it with, you know, trusting in your instincts. And, you know, if, if you want to find a, a second opinion, getting that second opinion and, um, and knowing you're like, you know, my, <laughs> my dear husband is a, is a surgeon and, you know, they're humans and they also have things going on in their lives. And, um, you know, not every doctor has a perfect day every day either. So it's not, like a misdiagnosis is not necessarily to say that an individual doctor isn't a good doctor. It's just, uh, there's just so much going on in the system. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what about like, at what point at post-injury did you turn back to yoga? Was that like an integrated part of your recovery? And, and did you start leaning on it from that point? Yeah, it was, uh, for healing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, because I, I, th- I, you know, I went home for a while and, um, did, um, a bait, like a, a course with my dad being a Jinshin Do um, practitioner, which is, as I mentioned, it's acupressure instead of acupressure. So it has the same idea of energy healing. So I went back and did a training with him and really realized how even in meditation, I, the darkness scared me. It was, um, it was, I would, it would take me back to that, that moment of, you know, them telling me not to move. I might've broken my neck and that dark and that it was, yeah, I was scared to go there. And so I was like, okay, well then I need to go there. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I went back in, um, into my practice and that's when I um, started really diving into practicing with Julia, as I mentioned, my first teacher and, um, yeah. And I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. And, and I, it was a new perspective, I guess, of what I was getting into. And it was very physical, but she did lots of breath work, lots of chanting and something ignited in me. And I was like, what, wait a minute, this is like all I want to do. I'd realign my schedule at work so I could take all the classes. (laughs) I was that like super nerdy, keen student at the front, you know, right in front of her, just like so excited to be there. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And then 
but I didn't know I was going to be a teacher right away. I, I definitely fell in love with practice again and healing. And then it came to the point where I was like, I was working in the bar in Whistler and, and that's where I really was feeling that pull of my spirit. I was living two different realities, like, um, you know, at night dressing up and drinking a lot of Jack Daniels. Cause I was so sad, um, that I lost a part of myself or, you know, of snowboarding, but then also this new sp- something in me had been ignited. So I was like this pull. So I, uh, decided to go the total soul searching and went to Bali to figure out what my path was. And I came home within three weeks. I found it. I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to be a teacher. And everyone thought I came home cause I was sad or missing it. And no one could understand. They were like, they're asking my husband, they're like, wait, why is she coming home? Like, is she okay? He's like, no, no, she just wants to get started. Like, so I came back and um, started working one-on-one with my teacher until the training began in Nicaragua and off we go. Yeah. Yeah. That really resonates that story. I mean, I, at the beginning of my yoga journey, I was also living, um, you know, heavily drinking Thursday, Friday, Saturday, doing like back-to-back vinyasa flows Saturday and Sunday morning. The poor people beside me were just like (laughs) sweating out all of the alcohol. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) But yeah, eventually I I look at, for me, I say that yoga was like my gateway drug into wellness. You know, it's like really the first thing that I started doing for myself that was, um, healthy in that sense and and spiritual like that was the first that was my entrance into any sort of spirituality mm-hmm. um so tell us about the book and and your how long ago did you think to yourself I'm gonna write a book and and the journey <laughs> to getting to the point where you are now yeah so I never really thought I would write a book on what I wrote a book on <laughs> I mean <laughs> I was like oh yeah like I I draw I, I was like oh maybe I'll write a book on yoga sequencing or theming because that wasn't really out there um and at the time and that's my next book that I'm gonna be I, I've already started on but this this one um kind of just came into being a little un- unexpectedly so I love mythology of yoga and I love mantras and for a long time I was teaching um it was called mythic mantra and I and I would teach an immersion to teachers or students or workshops on you know the stories of of the asanas and weaving in the mantras and I would kind of like yeah encourage teachers to you know bring these into their classes right and how it's all Mm -hmm. connected and, and really cool stories of the warriors and the gods and the sages and you know, and all the poses that are so connected to the ancient texts of yoga from the Ramayana to the Gita to, you know, the, even the the Vedas, it's very, very interesting. Um, and so with that, I was always giving recordings and of the stories. I just, you know, I'd give them an audio um, version of it because it was always passed down um, orally to me. Mm-hmm. And over time, I was like, oh, maybe I should write some of these stories down. And, you know, my experiences from India and the and the connections, you know, because there's, you know, some of the, we go to the ceremonies, and there's a huge Hanuman kneeling, opening his heart, and he's got Ram and Sita, and the mantra, Ram Ram, Sita Ram is, you know, flowing through his veins. And that has a story to it. You know, it's not just a statue, there's like this really beautiful tale of how it got there. And so I started weaving these things in um, to this book and just, well, writing them down, 
And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, maybe I should uh, put all the stories in one place and there's mantras and, and then I decided, okay, it's going to be a book. So like, it kind of just fell into place to be honest. I, uh, yeah. So it's life stories, um, short life story intros into um, these beautiful tales and then following up with conclusion, but also of mantras. So it's the sacred um, mythical stories and sacred songs of the gods and goddesses of yoga. Mm. And so how long has this been um, your project? How long have you been writing them down for? Uh, For the pandemic. So the two years I really started to get into it. Yeah. And it's, it's now I'm on the stage of it's done. It's complete, but it's, I'm having a little bit of trouble with Amazon. They're being a little bit funny with getting it all there. Um, I do have an author's copy and it looks great. I'm really excited about it. And really I wrote it originally for the teacher training that I'm holding or that I'm teaching the 300 hour teacher training. So it's really like a part of the textbooks that are going to help teachers to weave these stories and mantras into the classes. So holding a, a sense of tradition of where this practice came from, you know, like it started with Shiva and <laughs> it's, let's bring that into the class. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell us a favorite story of yours? Mm-hmm. Favorite story. Yes, I can. So I think I'll share, there's two that just popped into my mind, but I think I'll share the one that the book is pretty much inspired or, or written at or even called. Um, but the title, I don't know if it's, so with Amazon, I don't know if it's the title. It says the cover is there's an issue with the cover. And I don't know if it's the title that I'm having an issue with. So right now the book is called Within the Divine Realm. <laughs> okay. And this story is, this This is the story in the book that it's written after. So this begins with Shiva and Shakti and they're in a divine realm. They're in this beautiful orb of light and they're floating. And at this time, there's nothing around them. There's nothing being created. There's no um, life around them. It's just them. And they're, it's a, oh, I just, sorry. I just transported myself there. <laughs> I was, I was in it. <laughs> I was like, right now, share it. Crystal. Okay. So it looks it, amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this beautiful orb of light and it's like glowing. And so they're there. And um, Shiva, if you're not familiar with, he is the, he's part of the Trimurti or the, the three, you know, gods. And he represents the ending of the cycle and he represents the higher consciousness um, along with many other things. And he is sitting there in meditation in his Shankar version, which is like the one that's meditating and, and closed eyes. And he's very still and Shakti, his counterpartner, his, his wife, and she's everything tangible. She's nature. And you'll find out why she's uh, everything that you can see and feel. And she's the divine feminine and she is dancing and she's having a great time. She's like twirling and she's like in her Lila, she's dancing in the divine and and she's a little bit irritated that Shiva's not paying attention to her. Like, she's like, why? I want you to watch me. I want you to like interact with me. You're meditating. You're always meditating. I want you to pay attention. And so she decides she's going to play a little trick on him. And so she twirls and dances. And as she's dancing, lotus flowers start to sprout up from her feet and letting out like an aroma. And she's thinking this will, this will entice him out. Right. And it doesn't, but little does she know he is actually watching her with his third eye. And it's like slit very, very, very thin, but he is observing her. Cause how could he not? He, she's so beautiful. 
but Shakti is still not happy with this. So she dances around him and she takes her hands and she cups around all of his eyes. And when she does this, she drops. So she falls and she's falling with gravity for the very first time. And she falls for a very long time. And when she does land, she bursts into billions of pieces and it takes her a bit of time to gather herself up. So she's pulling herself in towards herself And as she's doing this, she's looking around and what she sees are mountains and um, trees and oceans and rivers and animals. And then she starts to experience like all the, the seasons and fall and winter and spring and summer. And then she has all these senses come over her of joy and pain and love and all the everything's happening so quickly. And she's getting a little bit overwhelmed, but she's like, what is this? And she realizes that these pieces of her that have fallen and broken are reflections of her. They're the mirror of her. And so she pulls herself in and she calls the name of Shiva, Um Namah Shivaya. And Shiva appears and she's like, where am I? Where are we? What is this place? And he's like, it looks like it's reflections of you, my love. It's the most beautiful thing. And she says, I want to stay longer. I want to experience this place. And he's like, I think that's a great idea. Let's do it. And, and then she says, but what if I lose you again? What if I fall again? What if I, if I break into a million pieces again, what do I do? And he says, all you need to do is call my name and I'll be there for you. So this idea that we are all of it, we are this reflection, because when we talk about the gods and goddesses, we, you know, we are them, they're aspects of us. So to, if we lose, lose ourselves, or we get sad, or we um, get lost in life, as we do, we go through heartache, the idea is that we go back to our stillness, we go back to ourselves. we go back to our mat, we sing the song of God. Uh, or divine or higher source, whatever it is. In this case, it's to Shiva and we'll return back home and find ourselves. Mm. Om Namah Shivaya. <laughs> yeah. I love that story. So our one, is that like a, a good representation of the types of stories or some of them like much longer and more in depth or they're all kind of like this, these snippets. Yeah. So there, I kept most of them pretty short like that, but there, there are a, some longer ones that I just couldn't like, there's um, kind of like an um, overview, I guess, of the Ramayana. Um, a sh- yeah, because I had just finished reading it again. So I re- rewrote kind of like, or I wrote, you know, my version of it. And um, so there are a couple longer stories, but for the most part, they're short, they're short little little snippets like that you could share in class with your students is kind of the idea, right? Like take five minutes and, you know, share a story to set up your theme for your, for your students. So they get a little bit of a, a deeper essence of what it is, where it came from. Yeah. And can you share a little bit about your thoughts? Because I think, you know, stories, uh, are such to get part of our humanity and it's something that I feel like we're losing I mean lots not not everyone but in, in general like with everything being in a sound bite kind of scenario these days we're I think getting disconnected and I mean many cultures have this history of oral oral tradition of, of these stories being passed down and yeah and I was listening to um 
I always mispronounce his name, but Ocean Vong, I think is his name. It's this poet. And he was talking about how his, I think it was his mother, his grandmother, various women raised him, Buddhist women, and they were illiterate, but they were like teaching him a master class all his life in storytelling and like the importance of the choice of words and the pause and like all these things that um, really when you hear a story, it's something that it's so much easier to embody than sort of maybe when we just hear the theory, you know? Yeah. I don't know if you wanted to comment on that. I think it comes back to imagination and, and the creative side of us. Like there's a saying that if you want to get close to the creator, you need to create, right? So it's like this artistic side of weaving something in, whether that's storytelling or, or doing, you know, like, painting and yoga or getting inspired, I guess, I guess it comes back to inspiration. So that's how I see it. Um, taking you into a world. I mean, as you said, like storytelling has been happening for, you know, thousands of years and there is something to say about tradition or lineage and, um, that I think that is buried deep within us, you know, and in a way of feeling, like we're connected to something deeper than just this moment, right? Like our, our family lineage or even beyond that, you know, history and, and what that, that is. And that can be horrendous <laughs> or it can be, or it can be really beautiful and powerful. Right. And, and really you can comes down to choice. You get to choose. Um, I think moving forward, like you get to choose what, how you want it to be. And, and that comes back to like the karmas, clearing those patterns that don't, that don't work for you. And uh, like my dad would say, the most important thing you can do in this life is clear your karmic path and, you know, get rid of the old belief system that holds you back and trust your intuition and trust what you're here for. Like keep searching to find what you're here for. Um, yeah. Your overall purpose, I guess. And a lot of these stories are around, around that they're around big battles and the time in history where, you know, things were, were getting crazy, but then there's from that, there's these heroes and there's these like embodiments of Dharma of like their purpose of what they came here for. And like these, so it's, it's, it's really relevant when you look at the teachings to like what even we're experiencing now, you know? And do you have the experience when you reread these things that you get different perspectives based on like maybe something new that's happening in your life? You're like, huh, that also applies to what's going on right now. Oh, of course. Yeah. Any, any texts, especially those like more in depth texts, like, like the Gita, uh, or, you know, you're going to, you're going to pull out and something's going to be more highlighted for if it resonates with what you're going through at that time, of course. Yeah definitely mm-hmm. and beautiful yeah mm-hmm. so um tell us we will have this out we will uh perfectly time it so that whatever's happening with your book it's it's available <laughs> amazing <laughs> it's happening <laughs> I'm on it it's all I'm- happening <laughs> I may make it happen. It has to happen before uh, September when my training begins. So we're, it's happening. <laughs> any, any last sort of reflections um, on your journey in general and or to write this, this book? 
I think the back end of things, I mean, writing the book is one thing. It's exciting and it's just pouring your mind and your heart and your knowledge onto paper and um, your inspiration and things like that. And it was exciting to put everything down. I feel like there was like so much more. And I was at one point, I was like, okay, I have to stop because the the book is going to be so thick. (laughs) It's like 200 and something pages. Uh, But I think that it, the hard part is um, figuring out the back end things of getting it uploaded and why they're not accepting the upload and the digital content. And, you know, like there's kind of like the, the end, the book writing is, is the easy part. It's, you know, and I think that's what comes in handy is to find the publisher and find the person that's going to help you um, put it together. That, that expertise, you know, my expertise is not computers. So um, I'm going to, I hired somebody to do that end of it. <laughs> Yeah. A brilliant person. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, last little question. I absolutely love your middle name and I'm curious, was that given to you by your parents or what's, what's the story of of rainbow? Oh man. So yeah, crystal rainbow. That was my given name. Uh, I was born, um, a Laura for three days. And then my mom was holding me and she's like, you're not a Laura. And I was born in August. So it was really sunny. Um, we were living in, um, off grid off of Tofino, just across from the hot springs there, um, at the time that I was born and she was holding me in her rocking chair and the sun was on my face and there was, um, a crystal in the window. So it was projecting rainbows on me. And she Mm. says, Oh, and the midwife had given her the crystal hanging. And she says, Oh, you're a crystal rainbow. That's your name. So a lot of people think that I gave myself that name because I'm a yoga teacher, which is hilarious. (laughs) Like, no, that's so not something I would do. But I can see people, yeah, people have definitely mentioned that. Like, oh, I thought that was your, you made, gave yourself that name. I'm like, oh, it's kind of embarrassing. Um, no, but, <laughs> but like my sister, her name is Autumn Windsong because she was born in the autumn and in the mm-hmm. fall and the wind was singing when she was born. So and yeah. Such beautiful my, names. Yeah. My whole family has some really beautiful um, names. My mom, Samantha Moonbeam. Um, and my dad is tolling buff bottom. <laughs> He's a wizard. <laughs> He's a straight up wizard. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. brilliant. Uh, well, thank you so much for, you know, uh, opening up to us today about all of this. And I'm so excited to read your book. I definitely um, have always quite honestly shied away from that aspect of of yoga um not because it didn't resonate or anything I just you know wasn't disciplined on that part of it and uh I think it's maybe the time of life that I'm ready to to incorporate more of it into my life and maybe it's because I now have children and I know how much easier it is to transmit these things through story Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think that not it's not everyone's not everyone's calling. That's not what I want to say, but even like in the very spiritual aspect of it, yoga doesn't, it doesn't, the mystic or the, um, this style isn't, doesn't have to be for everybody. Like, as we talked about, like yoga can be, um, just a physical healing for people. It can be just a meditation and it can be many things. And this is one aspect of those many things. It can be medicine in the way of the Ayurveda medicine. So this is just another branch of a very full tree of branches <laughs> that, um, that can be explored. And it's the, you know, the direction that I've gone that I just love 
um, that I'm very passionate about. So I'm excited to share it with more people in the world. I think that they'll get, I'm sure there's many little gems in there and um, great quotes by the teachers and by the, I love hip hop. So there's a lot of hip hop artist quotes. <laughs> and of course, Rumi's in there and there, you know, but there's some gangstar and Tupac and stuff. <laughs> And uh, there's some beautiful artists. Um, Allegra King is a poet and she has um, one of my favorite poems in there. And, you know, so there's a, there's a lot in there. There's beautiful art by Cups, this artist out of Whistler. And um, yeah, it's, it's very magical. So I'm excited for you to, to venture into it. Yeah. Oh, all right. And just quickly tell us um, how can people work with you other than seek out this book? You're doing teacher trainings. Yeah. So my website has everything. My website is so beautiful. My girlfriend did it for me. It's very beautiful, but it has everything crystal rainbow Borelli.com. And, uh, it has, so I'm doing retreats. We're coming back to retreats, which is amazing. Um, my main retreats that I hold are in Bali, uh, and usually in the fall and they're two week, it's a wander retreat. So we go to a couple of different locations. Um, we dr- drop into the culture and then of course like yoga and whatnot. Um, and then I usually do, a Mexico um, retreat in for New Year's. That's so much fun. And then India is coming back. So (laughs) India is coming back. We're going to be heading to India, hopefully again in 2023 and um, taking people back up to Rishikesh and um, take a class with my teacher and then experience this culture. I have a lot of like family there now is how I see it. And I, and I basically introduce people to an extended part of my family, have chai with Babas on the Ganga and do fire, uh, water ceremonies, fire, Vedic fire ceremonies, all the bits um and then i have my 300 hour teacher training so this is like you're taking your second certification um for teachers and we weave in a lot of theming and how to sequence and um there's a yin component so people get their yin certification as well and yeah that's happening in the fall so website and instagram crystal rainbow yoga <laughs> trail off the question mark i'm like i think that's what it is <laughs> We'll, we'll link it in the show notes. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll figure it out. Yeah. Website's where to go. Website has everything. Yeah. Mantra uh, courses has a, the whole, whole shebang. Uh, well, thank you so much. This has been a very lovely conversation and we'll be in touch. I'm Great. I might be coming to Bali. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you, Megan, so much. It's been lovely to have a chat with you. Mm-hmm.